Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. Well, here we go for this week's seven talking points, and we're starting with uh, the sales at Tattersalls, as almost seems uh, usual, uh, despite what's going on nationwide, worldwide, economically, in the world of the sales ring. Things are as buoyant as ever. Jonathan. Yeah, you wouldn't believe there's a cost of living crisis going on with some of the figures that have been posted at the sales. Um, millions and millions of guineas. It's, it's one of those where it's nice to see money put into the sport of course and it's nice to know that Britain is still the base for this we've got the stallions we've got the the bloodstock to kind of push to the rest of the world even if our prize money is lagging behind the rest of the world um, we were just saying earlier that the, the proof in the pudding sort of where these horses are going to be trained and where they're going to be campaigned but you'd assume many of them certainly Godolphin will still be campaigned in Britain so it's, it's good for the sport but like you say it's it's slightly detached from the rest of the world perhaps. Steve? Yeah, I, I, my first run when I'm reading the figures, you shouldn't do it. I, I felt almost a bit embarrassed to be part of the sport. I know it's probably not the right reaction because obviously it is. I can see on a level it's very good, but you know, crisis. What crisis is? Is was? It's, it's just stunning in the the times we're living in mm. to to see this. Um, Great film, The Producers. One of the lines was, "If you've got it, flaunt it." That's that's how that reminded me of that. It, it, it seems a bit abstract. What's happening there? Yeah. Um, one thing that is fairly palpable is the demand for Frankel. I mean, e extraordinary yeah. success in fairness on the race course, Alpinista, Chaldean in the space of uh, six days, uh, and now he's got a, a sale topper here at Tats that went for 2.8 million guineas. Yes, yeah, a lot of money, isn't it? And um, But I'm, I'm not surprised that Frankel's proven popular. Um, we all know what he did on the track. The fact he's translated that uh, in his second career is exciting, to be honest, because you've got, like you, we're just talking with Kirsten Rousing there about bloodlines and this one's dam and going all the way back. Well, we can go back to Frankel for a lot of these horses is a nice point of comparison, isn't it? And he's had an exceptional year. And to have a two-year-old winner as well is, is only going to help him. Fantastic. Not every great horse um, turns out a great stallion. In fact, many don't, and he has. Yeah, it's extraordinary the achievements as a stallion that he is you know, considering, as you say, what he did on, on the race course. It's, it's getting there. It's yeah. getting there. Uh, the next topic involves Christoph Sumio. Of course, last week we spoke here on the show uh, about the, the, the ban, the 60-day ban. Well, obviously now, subsequent to the ARF meeting, it's emerged that he has lost his contract as retained rider to the Aga Khan. How significant is that? Yeah, it, it is significant. Um, what he did was absurd, reckless, and he's fully aware of that. He came out and apologised. Um, it was an intentional manoeuvre, but I don't think he intended for the consequences, if you see what I mean. He, did, no, he didn't go into it to harm his, his uh, weighing room colleague, and he's paying, you know, it feels like a fitting crime to me. He's, he's missing out for two months. He's lost a very valuable retainer. I think we're discussing earlier, and you'll get on to the, the kind of reaction to it. Calling for him to be banned for life feels a little bit far, but... Yeah, I think it's been... I think all, all of that's right. It was, it was genuinely shocking mm -hmm. what happened. I think, I think he's handled it subsequently as well as he could have done. There was an article in the Post yesterday by David Jennings, and I agree with every word he said, basically. I think it's been... You know, it was awful. Uh, Two-month ban isn't isn't nothing. It, you know, it's a, it's a sizable ban. He's lost a, a huge retainer. But, I mean, what do people want? I mean, do you want him to never ride again? Is that what we're saying? 
No, Some I, people have said that. They have, Some they, people have said I that. I think I personally think that's way over the top. He definitely intended to push him. I doubt he intended to push him off for, you know, whatever. It was wrong. It was very wrong. But I think a two-month ban tells you we think this is really wrong. Um, whether you can ban things or people straight away, I don't know. Yeah, that, had, that had problems involved with it. But I, I think the, the reaction is way over... Uh, personally, I think it's been over the top. It was a very bad thing he did, and I think he's paid for it, and I don't wish him to pay for it any more than he has personally. I wouldn't like it to become normalised. I'm not sure I'd buy that argument that it's a non-contact sport, but there's a bit of unwritten contact and these things happen. And pointing to his ride on perfect power, he nudged a jockey out of the way as some sort of defence for what he did and, oh, it just went wrong this time. You know, we need to set very clear lines. And as for immediate bans, there is a lot of problems with yeah. that, you know, with appeals. and But yeah. when it's cut and dry like that, and then he's still riding at the arc. It's, it's a conversation worth having, I think, for cases of that extreme nature. Agreed. That's definitely something for the future. Uh, our next topic, I'm going to start with Steve on this, because it involves a potential clash, the coronation of King Charles III at the Derby. The Derby may be moved. Uh, Steve, a good thing, bad thing, the Derby moved, and if it were to be moved, what would be your suggestion? Well, you, you, you're you knowing the answer, don't you? Uh, no, my answer. Yeah, I, I, I've never liked the Derby on a Saturday. I don't think it works. I can see the argument for it, but I think it just clashes too much with, with other events, whether it's the, the Euros or this year's the Cup Final, and then it becomes, whether we like it or not, it becomes unimportant um, with, with m many of the media, both TV and papers, it, it becomes less important. I like it being um, a different day. I, I, for a long time, I've liked the idea. I think the Epsom meeting should be a one-day meeting. Uh, I'd have a, a, you know, a, I've said it in a number of times, like a Breeders' Cup type day with, I don't know, eight, ten races, whatever, going from mid-afternoon, if you can arrange it with terrestrial TV, to early evening, and I would end with the Coronation Cup um, the Oaks and the Derby and I think that would be really exciting for people you know you can compare times you can compare performances you're all racing on the same day on the same ground and you're building up to three really significant races and that's what I would do so I, I, I am if a, if a consequence of what's happening is that it gets moved off the Derby uh, off a Saturday and people like it then I would think that would be good news from that my personal view Agree with Steve or do you have an alternative for when the Derby ought to be run? Well, that was a very interesting. I've, I've slightly won over by that argument, actually, <laughs> with the idea of the Breeders' Cup style. It, it, I think any, I'm a big fan of any innovation, really, because they can be slow to happen in racing. So I, I don't hate that idea at all. I mean, it's, it's conjecture at this point. It's yeah. worth noting, you know, the Jockey Club aren't even discussing it yet because no one in the Palace aren't confirming anything. Mm. So we might just be guessing at it. I mean, I'd like racing's group one's full stop and big races full stop to have a bit more breathing space. I think at times we rush through them on an average Saturday anyway. Mm. So the idea of the derby having a bit of breathing room away from an event like the FA Cup makes sense to me. But logistically, I'm not quite sure how it would work. Maybe a Breeders' Cup style. Breeders' Cup style. Uh, the thought of it happening on a Friday, uh, building up to I mean, this very little top-level sport that normally happens on a Friday late afternoon evening. It'll, it, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, unless there's a major event going on over a period of time, whether it be the Euros or something like that, often on a Friday afternoon, it's not, especially in the summer. If there was a pause, some, in my mind's eye, between you know, a, a, a set a group of races at the beginning, building up to, you know, people can get to easily from London, 
Um, I think it would be quite a popular thing with spectators. You know, putting it on a, a lot of the events, say if it can be done. I think terrestrial TV may be a problem, but if it can be done early evening, I think that would be. And you know, policing may be a problem. I'm not saying there aren't problems. Right. It'd be something that I'd be interested in yeah. exploring. I mentioned this on uh, on Lucky's podcast the other day, and he was saying um, I could just hear Andrew Cooper. Cringing at the thought of the. But I've talked to Andrew Cooper about it. Oh, have you? Some time ago, I wrote about this years ago, oh. and, I had, and it wasn't. Um, I'm not saying he was. He, he thought, oh yeah, we'll do it, but he wasn't. As, as ever with Andrew, he was interested enough to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they have a problem. But he would yeah. know much more than me. All right. Uh, next topic for us is well, in the cashless society that we live in. A few problems yesterday at Chepstow with regards to Wi-Fi because of. The, the breakdown of the Wi-Fi or the failure of Wi-Fi at Chepstow meant that uh, cashless transactions were null and void um, and somewhat reluctantly uh, cash had to be accepted because it meant that bets couldn't be placed, people couldn't purchase certain things. Um, highlighting the issues of going cashless? Yeah, well, a, a potential byproduct of this is potential thieves won't bother with me because I tend not to carry cash as a rule. Maybe I'm of that generation, so I would have been in trouble at chips though um, <laughs> but it does speak to a wider issue doesn't it and um, this is what happens when technology goes down is it, it all went uh, pear-shaped I think my general view for tracks would be to it's okay to be predominantly cashless but you have to offer that yeah. facility or at least make it painstakingly obvious that it's cashless only because a lot of people prefer to bet in cash and I know having sort of spent some time speaking to people in the betting ring is a huge issue there because I think the message being put out by some tracks potentially is we're cashless they don't put the caveat but cash is actually pref preferred in the betting ring because it's faster and safer gambling implications as well and Absolutely. and things like that so it, if it gets that conversation rolling again then that might be a silver lining to what was no doubt a stupidly stressful day for Chepstow's management yesterday. Steve where do you stand on the, the cashless situation at race courses. Uh, I think it's been beautifully summed up there. I mean, it's, it's a way, it is going that way, and um, there are obviously um, safety arguments which suggest that's a good thing. I, I am the object. My children all don't carry a cash with them. You go, you know, to a pub with them over a meal. They've not got cash, and I have cash, so it's a generational thing. And part of racing's problem is that a lot of the people who bet in the betting ring are of an age still. There's certainly a, a proportion of them. So I think. In an ideal world, you'd, you'd be able to do both, but you are leading towards a, a cashless society, and I'm sure long-term that is right. Your kids clearly have got the wool over your eyes. In every way. I forgot my wallet, Dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the restaurants are cash done. only. <laughs> yes, that's been done. That is, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That is their choice of restaurants, cash there only. You go. Yeah. Um, moving on to talk about a very important topic for the sport of horse racing uh, overall and that's the governance structure which has been teased as potentially changing later this month or at least something concrete from Joe Somera Smith uh, he's spoken about the governance structure changing to allow the BHA more power which has long been said that mm. the BHA's lack of power in making big decisions has caused the inertia that's afflicted the sport for some time Jonathan yeah, and inertia is absolutely the right word. It's, this is part of the broader strategy review, of course, and they've everybody, all the, the great and good of British racing, got together in the same room, which is a minor miracle in itself, and they've committed to radical strategic mm. change, and everyone knows that the first step in that is the structure. That's the absolute bedrock for any future that British racing has. And at the moment, we've got 
the power of veto is creating stasis, isn't it? Because you're not going to necessarily get the thoroughbred group and the racecourses to agree all the time. So mm. the idea that there is a slightly more, it's not going to be a, a dictatorial power, it's just going to have someone can actually push the button and go, we've argued about it, you think this, this is the way yeah. we're going for it. And my concern will be it, it's it's not just about the smaller things it's we need a long long-term strategy start at the end and work backwards yeah. and if this uh, this is basically working on how we facilitate it the next yeah. step is what we actually do that's going to be the big one of course Steve it was seven years ago the tripartite agreement uh, allowed the BHA to make decisions with regards to the rules regulations of the sport but anything higher up the food chain whether it be funding uh, prize money fixtures they needed at least a majority of the two to one or indeed in some cases unanimous decision in order to get things through and that's proved so difficult because obviously so many people have so many interests. Vested interests, Rich, that's the trouble. Now, I think this is one of the, the most important things um, that needs to change. I've less confidence, well, I know we had the meeting and people are saying the right thing, that's been how it's been for 10 years. Mm. The proof of the pudding will be whether these people are prepared to take back and actually withdraw some of the power they have. Um, I hope that happens, but you can't make a decision. I mean, mm. and, and you know, you can understand it. If you are representing a body, you are going to fight their corner. The whole the race courses are going to fight the corner of the race courses. Uh, within the race courses. Within the race courses. Yeah, yeah. Within, you know, horsemen doing that. So I think. In a perfect world, you'd have a discussion, you take on board what people say, and the decisions would then be made, but would be made by, by the BHA, which I, I'm really strongly in favour of. I think there'll be a lot of problems before it happens, because I don't think most people are very good at giving up power. Right. Uh, the other thing as well, I'd, I'd love to, to get everyone to agree that should the BHA have that power, as long as they give a reasoning, uh, a proper reasoning for why they're making a decision, that they allow them to make that decision rather than hold the sort of Damocles over their head for making that decision even before they know whether something's going to work or not. Because if you are making decisions out of fear, then you're not going to come to the right decisions. You're not, things aren't, you know, want to give that freedom of expression. So Correct. Hopefully that's going to happen. Well, who knows? Um, but keeping on that subject, or at least the, the future of the sport, um, more or a little bit more revealed about Premier Racing, which has been, again, teased as to uh, a potential uh, way of improving things in the sport. More on that this week in the, in the Racing Post. Jonathan, any, any thoughts on, on what emerged in that article? Yeah, so that was my colleague Bill Barber um, getting access to that presentation. It, there weren't too many surprises in there, um, and logically, I, I like the idea. I think you have to, to forgive an analogy, but you have to dress up the shop window to get people to come in. Mm -hmm. And our Saturdays, our big races, need the correct promotion, the correct space, the correct financial backing. My fear would be that mustn't ever come at the expense of lower down the pyramid, and we can't put barriers in place between the sort of the everyday racing and the Saturday racing because yeah. the dream is that you can move between well you move up is the dream and then yeah. people also move down that's that's the nature of sport it has to be aspirational but that I think aspirational is the word for the premier racing plan it's we want to be world leading and that's where British racing needs to get back to because that's where it's always been historically yeah without uh, trying to be a little bit dismissive of everything it was so trying to boil it down leveling up was one of the the the, the, the principles or policies of of Premier Racing, Steve. Do you believe that that is the right policy for the sport? Um, yeah, I, I certainly believe that the concentration at some of the levels they were, that I was reading about 
I'm in favour of. Uh, 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 what's a, a direct result of more and more racing is actually you get more and more poor racing. That is what happens. Mm. So if we are going to have another hundred fixtures, <laughs> they're going to be class sixes. That's what's going to yeah. happen because there are more all the reals to the bad. I'm not saying you get rid, but I think the concentration has to be at the middle to higher level. Um, and the argument that you know, 90 races, horses, who three-year-olds who've got some sort of stamina in them, all get offers around Ascot time. It's is factually correct. You know, lots and lots yep. of horses, offers from Australia, Hong Kong, wherever it is. It can't be good for the sport to lose this chunk of good. It affects jump racing as well down the line. It has been over the years. So I, I think I think that part that I've read, I fully fully agree with. I do think the concentration of prize money should be middle to top rather than bottom, because I think that is what attracts people to the sport. Mm. Leveling up is an is a interesting thing, because obviously it hasn't really worked uh, in society. <laughs> it's a slightly loaded term, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, obviously it depends on who's doing the levelling up, I, mm -hmm. I often think. If, if the right people are doing it, it's, it's potentially uh, a good policy and a good project to undertake, but if the the wrong people are trying to level up, um, it becomes all a little bit unbalanced and a bit uneven. But anyway, um, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. We often end these conversations by let's saying let's hope. But genuinely, that is true. Let's hope. Um, one important aspect in, in terms for racing to be okay is the, is the ground. And uh, I use the word spate of Ooh, cancellations through the, through the summer. You, you, I know you enjoyed that word, mm. amidst the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but once again, we've got more issues with unsaved ground. I think Exeter have had to move a fixture, Huntingdon earlier in the week, uh, called off. I mean, are, are, we not, are we worried enough about what's happening? Because it, it, it seems to be continuing. I thought, well, you know, with rain and the weather's not actually been bad enough to think we're going to have cancellations for any reason at the moment. So... Should we be more worried about it? I'm not particularly worried. Um, the fact that we've had, that it's been recognised and the right decision's been taken. If I'd be worried if the right decision hadn't been taken and they'd carried on racing anyway. Mm. It, it's been a weird year for the weather, having spoken to Definitely. a few um, tired clerks. The courses have been sort of running uphill yeah. the whole season and getting safe ground is, is there's an art to it and they've, they've had a lot of factors to go against them. Yeah. Um, so I think for me that's all that's really in it. It's obviously the case, Steve, that you know whoever the clerk of the course is, jockeys, but indeed and trainers, connections walked the course beforehand, um, and they all seem to think it's safe to go ahead. But then when a horse is galloped on the track, suddenly there are issues. I mean, is there anything in your mind that could potentially avoid, or at least bring the the the, the dangers to the surface a bit sooner? I just don't feel qualified to. I don't mean to. You fair know, enough. Fair you know, I think it's it's you need some you know to be an expert in ground management. I think it has been a very difficult summer for them. It's a very very dry summer, um, where you know I'm listening to the clerk of course at Chepstow the other day talking about how um, you know it'll be the. I know we've had rain recently, but the mm. the, the, the ground um, it was hard, really hard work just to keep it going in the summer. So I, I have some sympathy for them. In the end, safety's got to be the biggest factor. If we, if we lose some, some races, it's sad, but it's more important that the, the meeting is stopped so that we risk further injury. But what am I worried about it? I just leave it to people who know more than me, basically. Okay, and in fact, know more than all of us when it comes yeah. to that. So uh, we can only speculate. Uh, okay, that has been this week's Talking Points.